Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green. And joining this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. Last episode, we talked a little bit about the, the little cursor zoo, where we keep our cursors at the top of our document. Faith seemed to have just had a big change of heart and made it into a <laughs> cursor prison. And I don't know, there's three, there were three of us in there. And I assume that's us. Oh, you think it was us? Oh. I thought, oh, interesting. <laughs> if it's just drinking her kombucha over there, like, <laughs> no, no, I was not what I was thinking at all. <laughs> so uh, I I immediately opened the document You're and then I pulled, I pulled all of us out of there. There is a fire right now, which is somewhat concerning. I pulled... I just generated more people and then put no signs to create a little protest outside the prison. Oh. And then Tuna created a bottle with a fire on top for a Molotov oh, cocktail. Oh, Molotov cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> I see. And then I just showed up and freed everyone. Yeah. It's like, it's done. We're out. You can't <laughs> done imprison it. the hosts of SciShow Tangents. Yeah. What well, have we ever stuff. done? A lot of stuff. Not deserving of prison. A lot of people haven't have done a lot of stuff. It's true. <laughs> Not deserving of prison. It's true. So the question is, what's the thing that you did that would most likely end you up in a prison? I'll tell you mine. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> I had this fun idea for a way to encourage people to vote. 
I think maybe it was like you get entered into a sweepstakes or something. Turns out you can't you can't give people rewards for oh, voting. That's right. really not cool. That's a, that's that's one of the things that people do very intentionally to uh, manipulate the outcome of elections. You can tell people to vote. You can help them vote. You can give them all the tools that they need to vote, but you cannot give them things in order to vote. Even even uh, even a percentage of a chance of winning a thing, not oh, allowed. Yeah. And I figured that out just in time. Good. Before you went to... <laughs> and then I was like, you're trouble right. for bribery. That's a good rule. That's a good one. I think that that was probably the right call to have that rule in place. I didn't think through the full implications of my idea. That never happens. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to make you guys incriminate yourselves mm. for the things that you did to send yourselves to prison. Yeah, my mom will be mad at me. Yeah, mine was like civic engagement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mine was definitely a uh, falsified identity, but for the sake oh. of prank as opposed to Mama. like fraud. So I never yeah, like you... applied for insurance or credit card or anything. <laughs> right. I just pretended sure. to be other people yeah. using my technology skills. Who do you who did you impersonate on the internet? I used to pretend to be people who were interested in egg and sperm donation. Um mm. when people would put high-priced ads in student uh, papers of like mm-hmm. we are looking for top SAT score, a like AP test fives, like chemical engineer to donate biological yeah. materials. I would create fake email accounts and message with them because I was curious how unhinged of a person they were. But I think I was also unhinged to do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's like weird. create these fake personas. And then I would always back out. I would say that I had some yeah. sort. I would like, oh, I have, sorry, I didn't disclose that I have any glasses. And then sometimes I were like, oh, oh that's a deal breaker. Wow. And sometimes. But what if uh, they said, okay, we don't care. Come in. Then would you just start sweating bullets or what? I also yeah, have then, uh, congenital glaucoma. That's why yeah. I got the glasses. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> then I would either make up more lies or ghost them and delete the email account yeah. forever. No, backing out doesn't seem like a weird thing to have happen. If right. I'm trying from to their collect the sperm of, mm-hmm. uh, of, of healthy MIT oh. students. <laughs> It's because mm-hmm. you're you went to MIT. I was like, this never happened on my college campus, but yeah, no, no, not mine either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, we were really looking for a bunch of guys who do so much weed. <laughs> yeah, no, the eugenicists go to the fancy people's schools, <laughs> and they're really like, we need the social elite. And then I'm like, but how racist and yeah, elitist are you? You're I doing some that. investigative journalism. Yes. Great. Yeah, it would have been journalism if I had actually written anything instead of me just showing the emails to my friends yeah, and being like, look you know. at these weirdos. <laughs> if you'd found something really juicy, you would have yeah. Yeah. about it. But you never know what mm-hmm. you're going to find you until you look. look. That's that's the true that's the mm-hmm. true journalist's heart. you got to look under every rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, watch out, egg donor searchers, <laughs> eugenicists. I'm coming for you. So every week here on Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for glory and for Hank Bucks, which I'll be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, uh, one of them will be crowned the winner. And it won't matter at all. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. This week is from Sari. Roses are red, and Valentine's Day is commercial. So let's talk instead about pollen dispersal. For some flowers, you've got (laughs) stamen and pistil in one. 
self-fertilization makes seeds and you're done. Because there's two gametes, the egg and the sperm, it's still sexual reproduction, I'm here to confirm, Mm. though there's potential to find an external mate when wind, water, or bees help set up a blind date. Animals aren't that different from our planty friends, so let's look at mating through the same lens. It takes two gametes to tango, these meiosis-made cells, though the methods of merging can have more whistles and bells. Some social, some savage, some weird mixing of genes, with one mate or several or thousands for queens. The heart of the matter is that heart doesn't matter. For most living species, they breed just to scatter. So tis the season for chocolates and rituals complex. But remember, we don't know why evolution led to sex oh you can't say that without me talking a lot but yes congratulations that was very good but you can't say that i'm gonna fight about it i can't believe we do we could do one episode about mating which is it's big Mm -hmm. it's very big the topic of the day is mating um and sari i guess i need you to tell me what this is so i guess we, we we are calling it sexual reproduction I think so. I think to narrow it down slightly, because if you include all the accoutrement that comes with mating, and I guess Mm -hmm. we will probably talk about the the social rituals around it, because there are a lot of it. Mm -hmm. But at its heart, I think the topic of this episode is sexual reproduction, which is the... everything that goes on with (laughs) either opposite sex or hermaphroditic organisms... Or yeah, it doesn't have to be opposite sex either, because sometimes sometimes there's like more than two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that lead to the fusion of mm-hmm. two gametes. Right. Uh, and so we've got gametes, the gonads that produce the gametes, and then the copulatory organs that vary from animal to animal, plant to plant, eukaryote to eukaryote, and all of these systems work together <laughs> to help organisms reproduce. And it would be easier, is definitely true, if you could just bud. If you could just be like, Mm. and there's a thing on my shoulder and it falls off and it's a baby now. But we don't do that. And uh, and sex, I think, has has evolved several times. There seems to be some significant evolutionary pressure towards sexual reproduction rather than asexual reproduction where you just make a copy of yourself, which is totally possible. Lots of organisms do it. So it's not like it's not possible. It's easier in every way than sex. But sex is obviously selected for because it is a burden to the organism, but continues to be selected for over and over again, continues to happen over and over again. We have a pretty good guess of why that is, right? Why sex specifically, as opposed to other methods of genetic recombination evolved to Uh facilitate genes transfer is very, Mm -hmm. very weird and not as easily explained by like the gradual process of Darwinian evolution, because the forming of the egg and sperm cells is a lot of energy to go to a process that doesn't happen for any of our other cells. And Mm. like the specialization of all these body parts, it's hard to pinpoint at what point in the single celled uh, part of our evolution that Mm -hmm. spawned the first eukaryotes sex happened. And in what way was it like a viral infection or was it something, what caused there to be these germ cells, these gametes, as opposed to the somatic cells that make up the rest of our bodies? And how did those systems like proliferate and specialize in so many different ways? It's like a very weird question that we 
can gloss over with the idea of like, yes, it is advantageous to mix up our genes, but like mm-hmm. why this multi-layered way to mix up right. our genes, we can't explain biologically. So you don't have to have two different sexes to mm-hmm. have sex. There are lots of organisms that are hermaphroditic and and so they enter into copulation and they both get pregnant or one of them gets pregnant and it depends on how it sort of mixes out. And so like that's a separate and equally difficult to answer question of like why the differentiation between two sexes happens. Um, mm-hmm. And Yeah, why not one and why not more than two? Because sometimes there are more than two. Mm-hmm. But like, and I've read science fiction in which there's more than two for like sentient species, mm-hmm. which is always an interesting thing to explore. But uh, very unusual for complex organisms to have more than two sexes. Um, wild, wild. And I guess, I guess the 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 sort of like we understand that there's just because there's benefit doesn't mean that we understand why it happened or how it happened. Mm-hmm. There are ways for uh, genes to be mixed that aren't sex, where like two single-celled organisms come together, they mix their genes together, and then each of them leaves genetically different, but there is no offspring. Oh. It's very weird. It's like you kiss someone and become a different person. Conjugation, if you want to look it up. Yeah. And so like, why didn't that become the the dominant force right. by which we share genetic material? There are probably a plenty oh, of reasons, but... I don't... I've never read that science fiction book where like two people... <laughs> where like, like sex happens uh-huh. and then it's like, it's at a time in your life where you're like, I'm tired of being this person. I want to oh. have some of that person's genes. Ooh. And see how it goes. You'd be so squishy. You'd be picking up all kinds of dirt on your in the rest of your life. I don't right? think you wouldn't have to be squishy necessarily. It depends on like the mechanism by way. Like if you yeah. if you swap stem cells in some way where like it goes from and it your, uh, infects the, your whole body, like your it's bone, a virus. bone marrow or something. Yeah, or yeah. infects your body in some way. And, and then just like, like, you'd get, like you'd have sex, you get really sick, and at the end of it, you'd be like, <laughs> I'm Steven now. <laughs> <laughs> <Hello>. <laughs> Anyway, well, anyway, yeah, I feel really on topic right now, you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, do we do, do we do we have anything etymological to discuss? So I couldn't really figure out what we used before mate uh, mm-hmm. in scientific literature. Beget, siring, like those are yeah. the oldie, old old English stuff. words. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Whatever you see in translations of the Bible, you might uh, assume are, are previous versions of it. But it seems like the word mate started out as a noun for like a buddy um, and specifically someone who you eat with, which I think is funny because it's oh. a similar root as uh, mate and meat are similar oh. words. Like you sit cool. at a table, you share some meat with someone. Mm, and so then right. it went from like a companion or partnership as it has always been the case in human society. We are obsessed with romantic partnership and sexual partnership. So we were like, oh, mm. a mate is like, Someone you spend a lot of your time with, so a sexual partner. Uh, and then we were like, we just imprinted that onto animals as we do when we study animals. Sure. We're like, ah, they mate too. And then we started using around the 1500s uh, the word mates to describe animal pairs as well. I've always wanted to write this book, but it's just, it's too big. <laughs> <laughs> volume one, volume two. Yeah, I've uh-huh. heard both of you talk about writing this book before, which explains why this yeah. definition is so long and that this episode will be <laughs> oh, forever. I'm so sorry. 
All right. Well, then I guess it's time to do the game. I've got a game for you guys. Do you want to do the game? I think so. Yeah. We're going to do the scientific definition. Because if there was one perfect strategy to find the ideal mate, we would all be doing that by now. Instead, all across the animal kingdom, mating brings out the strangest and most undignified behavior in all of us. And today... We're going to explore those behaviors with a game of the scientific definition. I'm going to name some kind of mating behavior to you, and it's up to you to try and guess what that behavior entails only based on the name. (laughs) We're going to get in trouble. (laughs) And what animal does that type of behavior? So you can give me both of those. Whoever gets closest Uh, to the actual answer wins a point. Okay. We're going to start out with nuptial pads. Oh, no. No, Sarah's very, was excited about that one. Sam was terrified. So I think Sarah <laughs> yeah. should go first. Yeah. So nuptials, obviously, it's like uh, there's nuptial gifts, I know, in, uh, in the animal kingdom mm-hmm. where the, you give a little present or you give your little sperm in a packet to, to your mate. And so I assume nuptial pads are similar. Uh, I assume it is a, a sea creature. I'm going to say sea creature because okay. they got lots mm-hmm. of gooshy stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like you create. A little gentle place to lie down and and mash nasties. <laughs> you know? I wasn't ready for that at all. No. You were so technical until the end there. So it's just, it's just like an area you create for the act. Yeah, you create it. Yeah. And, Give and me it's a specific like a, sea creature. I'm going to say it's a, a okay. type of fish, like a, okay. a bony fish. Like a bony fish. Okay. I think it's just like padding around. The, your genitals when it's sex season to protect from all the smooshing that's going to happen on maybe like uh, some kind of frog. Okay. If I have to go that specific. <laughs> you do, and you did, and you got the right animal, Sam. Yes. What? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that, but I know frogs do all kinds of weird shit. Oh my gosh. I... They also do a lot of pad stuff. They're always on those lily pads, mm. but those, that's, <laughs> that's not true. what these are. Okay. Nuptial pads are on the thumb and forearms of male frogs, and they help them grip onto female frogs during mating. Ah. So frogs mate via am- amplexus, which involves a male getting like a piggyback ride as he grasps onto the female's back, and it helps <laughs> coordinate the frogs through external fertilization, lining up the the egg uh, deposition and the sperm transfer happening as it's happening. Uh, they don't they, oh. they don't actually like insert anything. Uh, so nuptial pads Weird. are often spiny, and they also have glands below the surface that secrete various substances that are thought to either make a glue-like chemical that enhances the grip uh, or to release pheromones. In some frog species, the skin of females uh, will sh- actually show abrasions where the male frog's nuptial pads held them, suggesting oh. that they might even be receiving those pheromones through the skin as like an injection. What the heck? Ooh. You're doing too much, frogs. Come on. You do you have to take it down a notch. That's not necessary. You're not even having sex. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All that work. You're just squirting down on the ground. All right. Word number two is the spermilage. I guess I need to go first. Spermilage. Probably this is like a little, it's like, you know, like mech cartoons. It's like something that the sperm hitches a ride in and it's like a robot (laughs) and it helps the sperm get to where they're going in a little, mm-hmm. some kind of cell with with right. with legs or something, gets inside a bigger cell. It's yeah, it's like a sperm carrying device of some kind for a little thing. What? Give me like a kingdom. 
I would have this something aquatic, like a fish, maybe like a okay, a, a, shark, a shark. I don't know. Okay, okay, shark sperm carrier. Sari, sperm allege to me sounds like something pointy, not like a carriage, not like a mecca, but like a weapon that mm. you use. And mm. I know that some insects do like traumatic insemination and jab yeah. each other. So I'm gonna say it's. It's like what the implement is called. Like I'm going to inject my sperm with the spermilage, sure. and it is a beetle of some sort. Sari, that was very close. I love it. You're <laughs> the winner there for sure. It's it's a bed bug thing, and bed bugs do do traumatic insemination. Ah. But instead of being the device that actually stabs the sperm in, uh, it's a V-shaped area on the abdomen. So it is kind of pointy in that way. Uh, and it's apparently it makes the act of sex less uh, traumatic, even though it is they 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 don't have a, a way for the sperm to get in. It actually has to go through their uh, carapace or whatever. So so male bed bugs uh, directly inseminate the body cavity of female bed bugs by piercing them through the body wall. And that's upsetting. The process uh, could pose a risk to female bed bugs. It's got infection uh, worries. There's hemolymph leakage where there's just like bleeding, basically. Immune responses against the sperm. It also takes time and energy to repair the cuticle. Well, in 2003, scientists hypothesized that the spermilage is an adaptation that helps female bedbugs mitigate, mitigate those costs by keeping the damage restricted to one area and reducing the amount of hemolymph that uh. can leak out. They so also they, have the, they have the spermilage. Yeah, the females the have the spermal edge. Okay. It's like a it's like a specific area that's maybe adapting to become a place that's easier for the whatever that's called to go through. Uh, uh-huh. they, they noted that different species have different spermal edge structures. In some, the spermal edge even forms a tube that leads to the oviducts, and that they're re-evolving so, it. Whoa, yeah, they're they're figuring out how to do vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> Again, <laughs> just more <laughs> everywhere you look, they're doing it again. Just figuring <laughs> out a- the same systems. Uh huh. That's how evolution works. <gasps> All right, that's one win for each of you. Here's our last one to see who's the winner. What is the love dart? I feel like I've heard of this before. Uh, I think it's gastropods, so like a slug or a snail thing what it sounds like but i don't know what so it's a dart so it's a dart made of uh whatever their their shell is made of is my guess and they stab it into each other to secure their position whilst mating because they kind of goosh all over each other and so it's like a just a stay where you are like a cramp on uh or like an ice ice pick yeah. Ice axe. <laughs> kink, kink. Hold uh-huh. on. Uh, hold on so that we can goosh. We can goosh together. <laughs> so we can goosh better. Yeah. So we should, we can goosh uglies. All right, Sam. Mm-hmm. I think Sarah's right, but I'll make something up. Maybe it's like, oct- well, a gastropod. You could still get it more right. Okay. It's the snail thing, like Sari was saying, but it's not a cramp on. It is a, gosh, it's just their penis. I don't know. <laughs> Okay. So they have one of those. That could totally be it. I'm going to read you 
what a love dart is. It is a structure that is used by at least nine families of land snails to make sure that their partner's body won't break down the sperm. So let's keep reading. I'm pretty sure Sam pulled this one off. Even though (laughs) Sari, but Sari knew a lot. So for example, it is indeed made of the same stuff that the shell is made out of. So that's a big win. It, which is mm-hmm. calcium carbonate. And then other species do have softer love darts made out of chitin, though. So I don't know. That's a, that's two votes in favor of Sari. Uh, land snails are hermaphroditic. And when they find a mate, they typically circle around, circle around each other, inspect each other for like, are you a sexy snail? What's your body look like? How big are you? And then they will settle on a mate. And one of the snails will then puncture its mate with their love dart, which is made of a muscular sac in the body that can force the contact through uh, and then some species will shoot only one love dart. Others, it's a bit more repetitive. One species use the same dart to poke their mate over and over again for about an hour. Ugh. The important part of the love dart is that it is coated in mucus, which acts to close off a particular organ called the bursa copularatrix uh, in the punctured snail's body that normally would break down sperm. The act goes both ways, with the punctured snail turning the tables and puncturing its mate with its own love dart so that they can eventually pass sperm packets to each other and mate. So it's not for holding on, which is what Sari said. It's more like the penis, where it is actually delivering the sperm. So I think I'm going to give it to Sam, even though Sari really had a lot. Yeah, and I wouldn't have even known it was details. snails without her saying that. So, oh, well, that, if you tell me that, no, you can give it. To, you can give it to Sam. Cut I didn't that. know that. <laughs> now we're going to take a short break, and then it'll be time for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had. You think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora 
ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts? It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Hello and welcome back, everyone. It's time for the Fact Off. Our panelists have brought in science facts to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. And with this topic, you better. After they've presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. But to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. Porcupine mating is understandably uh, tricky. But the quills are actually easy enough to get around. The male porcupine just uh, makes sure to respectfully display their interest first by standing on their hind legs and peeing at the female porcupine, who then huh. decides, based on this display, whether or not she would like to reveal the quillless regions for reproduction. The real challenge is, in fact, uh, the timing. Porcupines tend to live on their own after they are grown up, and the female porcupines only have a short window during which they're fertile. At its longest, how long is the female porcupine's fertility window? How short is it? Pandas are pretty short. I feel like they're a couple weeks. So I'm going to say seven days. I feel short. I'm going to say. Seven days. I don't have time to find each other, right? So I'm going to say uh, three days. Eight to 12 hours. Wow. Oh. <laughs> so it went. What the hell? You thought it was going to be Siri, but it's Sam. <laughs> Ooh, goes first. Uh, I guess I'll go first. Okay. Milkweed butterflies are a genus of butterflies so named because of their relationship with plants in the milkweed genus. They lay their eggs on the plants and caterpillars feed on the leaves of the plants, which contain a toxic sap. The most famous example of a milkweed butterfly is also probably one of the most famous butterflies of all, the monarch butterfly. It's well known that the butterflies and caterpillars use the toxin from the plants to make themselves toxic to deter predators, but adult male butterflies also use the chemicals to make mating pheromones that they present to females in what is known as a nuptial gift, which Sari mentioned earlier. So the male butterflies retain a lot of 
the toxins that they ate as caterpillars to make these pheromones for their gifts. But they also use an interesting method called leaf scratching to collect more of these chemicals when they need a top off. So leaf scratching is basically what it sounds like. The butterflies use their tiny little claws on milkweed leaves and they make the leaves release their toxic sap, which they lack, which they lap up with their cute little tongues. And they also have another way to collect more toxin. The leaves of a milkweed plant are a perfectly fine place to get more of this toxin when they need it, but there's another source of even more concentrated toxins in their environment. A big, slow, chubby, defenseless one that's just sitting right there, all full of toxins, caterpillars. So in 2019, researchers in Indonesia observed several species of adult milkweed butterflies drinking the precious toxin-filled goo out of wounded and dead baby caterpillars. And the culprit of much of this wounding uh, were the adult butterflies themselves, who were observed scratching open the backs of living caterpillars, including caterpillars of the same species as the adult. I'm just thinking, if this isn't what they should be doing, these, these caterpillars should be a little tougher like oh like they'd they'd have evolved to be tougher but maybe it's advantageous for the species as a whole for the adults to be able to suck the blood of the young that's just what i'm thinking continue maybe nobody else ever thought of it (laughs) until now you know (laughs) it just seems odd to Uh, be for a butterfly to be able to injure a caterpillar seems like it'd be uh pretty easy to evolve out of that situation that's true Uh, So the researchers weren't sure if the dead caterpillars being fed on were killed in some other non-butterfly way or if they had simply been drank to death by their elders. Uh, And some butterflies (laughs) were also so focused on drinking the caterpillar juice that they wouldn't stop even when the researchers would like touch them or like brush them away. Uh, One slightly more innocent explanation for this is that the butterflies are just accidentally scratching open caterpillars when they're scratching leaves. But, you know, they're still drinking the goo out of their own babies until they die. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Those are pretty different things. I guess when there are babes (laughs) on the line, you got to occasionally get a little weird. SciShow Tangents just continues to prove me wrong about stuff. There's always another worst thing about butterflies. (laughs) (laughs) the depths of their depravity will never be truly (laughs) plumbed (laughs) yeah okay sorry took a very different direction but (laughs) similarly weird uh because this yeah so many options for for centuries people have been postulating about soulmates or other mysterious ways of communicating between two specially linked organisms and it's been a minute since we've delved into some historical pseudoscience on tangents. So I have the perfect thing for this romantic episode, the mating of garden snails. This is why I knew a little bit about love darts. Mm-hmm. Gastropods have all <laughs> sorts of ooey-gooey mating practices. And common garden snails, which are cornu aspersum, previously classified as helix aspersa, are no exception. They are, as Hank said, hermaphroditic, which means individuals produce both sperm and eggs. And after a several hour long mating session where they inspect each other's slime, and I think in this species shoot a love dart like we were talking about, they line up their genital pores and inseminate each other. It's a very romantic, goopy, special connection. So special, in fact, that around the 1850s, the French occultist and that's the epithet I found for this man, Uh, Jacques (laughs) Benoit, thought that after swapping mucus and gametes, a mated pair of snails would be telepathically connected. Oh. How? I have no idea. Animal (laughs) magnetism was in at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But he might have just said there was something special in the slime. I read all the texts I could find on this. Uh, He didn't give a good, clear explanation. 
Uh, He ran with it anyway to create what was known as the Sympathetic Snail Telegraph. And people like Samuel Morse were working on a boring old electric telegraph (laughs) with wires around the 1830s. So I think he wanted to offer up some competition to that. And his invention was based on the previous pseudoscientific idea of a flesh telegraph, which is even grosser than a snail telegraph. Basically, you and your friend trade pieces of arm skin in a surgical transplant, and you tattoo the alphabet on both of your skin grafts, and then you can forever send messages to each other Ouija board style by poking the letters in sequence with a needle. So Benoit was like, (laughs) brilliant, and mated 24 pairs of snails and split the pairs up in bowls around 10 feet apart. Apparently, his goal was one for every letter of the alphabet, but there are 26 letters, and I was too busy researching the fake science to look into like contemporary languages. Oh, my God. This is an unresolved discrepancy. Anyway, he (laughs) ran around poking snails in bowls on one side of the room while his friend interpreted the message based on the wiggles of the snails on the other side of the room, and a journalist watched this whole thing. Mm. It was sketchy at best, but the journalist wrote about it anyway, as if it worked, and there was big press about it. This, wow, snail telegraph. The, The snails love... Shall never be conquered. So um, telegraphs then, already existed. Yes. You got to have the pair yeah. and you got to pull them apart. Yeah, so you got to like go to my house, get my snails. And then we have just snails for me to talk to you. I can't yep. talk to anybody but you. So it's less <laughs> no, no. <good> telegraph. <laughs> but you can send your secret snail messages That's to your favorite good. person. Yeah. No, I'm not yeah. saying it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> but then after this got public publicized people maybe not even scientists asked benoit to test his snail telegraph more rigorously like over a greater distance not in the same room you know like basic communication things that sucks and then he disappeared also also from the public case (laughs) (laughs) um uh, okay i love that oh no well here's the situation sam kind of is only in the lead through duplicity oh come on we would have tied at best at worst, whatever one is app- applicable in this situation. But this the the snail occultist is so good. Mm-hmm. Like I love I could see either of these being a kick-ass TikTok that gets a million views. But the oh. snail occultist is the true winner of of my heart oh, this episode. On. All right. Well, oh god, so good. <sighs> fake science, fake science. Fake science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just it was always all gonna be about sex. All. all right. Now it is time, now that we uh, know that Sari is the winner of the episode, it's time to ask the science couch. We've got a question for our couch of finally honed scientific minds. Mike A. on Discord and at Nano Book Review ask, based on what I've read, mating is always about pairing two organisms slash gametes. Why two? Would more than two be too biologically difficult? So I have heard that there are species that have multiple, like more than two sexes and, and like funguses, I think, um, Mm -hmm. are the, are, can be this way. I'm not entirely sure what this means though. What, what I think it means is that like this, this individual cannot reproduce with other individuals of its sex. And that happens like a bunch of different times. There's a bunch of groups, but any one of them can reproduce with each other but they're all different. And so there's like borders you can draw of this individual cannot reproduce with these ones. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of different kinds. That's not really what we mean because they can reproduce with any of the other ones. But then as far as why that would be better or this would be better, the thing that most organisms do where there's two sexes, 
I have no idea. Is this question like, why isn't there something where three things have to have sex to have something? Yeah, or or anything like there could be a bunch of different circumstances where there's more than two sexes. Right. You could you could imagine like a sort of like I like this organism needs to be present, but isn't actually involved, doesn't donate any genetic material um, versus like, I guess it does seem a little weird. Like, I don't know what you would do if like how you would take genetic material from three organisms and mix them together. Like that just seems like biochemically complicated. Sarah, do you have anything? You must have done research. I did research and I led to a lot of these same questions where it's it goes back to kind of what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, which is we can explain why sex is evolutionarily favorable now, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the weird variations on it and how it came to be are difficult questions without jumping back in time or like finding fossil evidence or molecular evidence or things like that. So there are organisms that I found that work kind of like what you were describing, Hank. Uh, there is at least a nematode and an algae that have three biological sexes okay. in that. But the the biological sexes are male, female, and hermaphroditic. So the hermaphroditic can mate with either the male or female based on the parts. Uh, so it's not quite like three separate categories. It's like mm-hmm. what... How many of the gametes do you produce? Do you produce egg, sperm, or egg and sperm? And I, I guess there there are algaes, maybe, or plants that have a lot more sexes. Like, but I haven't dug into exactly what that means. Like, I don't know enough about genetic recombination and cell types. But I think it's more what Hank was saying, where we define sex as your cells can genetically recombine with another member of your species cells, but not others. And that is just, I think, a weird consequence of evolution because this whole idea that you can offer some genetic material and someone else can offer some genetic material and those can merge fairly seamlessly and then create a new organism is a very weird thing. Um, And so my guess as to why more than two hasn't happened is because we either haven't observed it or it it just like it was such a weird thing that two things come together that three is even more weird mm-hmm. and yeah, and, yeah nature like, doesn't do good with odd numbers. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely <laughs> that. So you, you have to jump right to four. Yeah, I, it's it's almost like this is a vibe. Uh, yes, not a statement of fact, but it's it's We're very difficult to evolve sex in the first place, and all of the advantage you're going to get from sex you get from two individuals. And and so, like, as long as you're getting the variety, you don't need to evolve any new complexity. So it's like the simplest thing that gives us the advantage of faster evolution. Mm. I'm not sure and how the, having three sexes would speed up evolution. Yeah. And having the core, like, there are organisms where there are more than two participants to be like have successful mating whether because of competition like for example yeah there are those snake masses Mm -hmm. where it's a bunch of males and one female and all in competition there are creatures i think even chickens that can be inseminated multiple times and there's like competition between the sperm Mm -hmm. there's some agency exercised by the vaginal canal etc to do it and then there's also like Whales, I think, 
at least gray whales that help brace each other during mating. Like there's a third that's just kind of uh, there uh, and helps in there. Just like floating put, around. It's yeah. hard to squish together <laughs> in the water. It's hard to get leverage yeah. in the middle of the ocean. So okay. there's a third or like in some birds, there's this like a true behavior. man right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's all these like social and structure, social and behavioral structures around sexual reproduction that involve more than two in like a mated pair, but biologically like w- there isn't a, a a mechanism that we have found that involves more than right. an egg and a sperm coming together because that's where it starts getting complicated right. whenever right. you introduce right. more variability there's always more of a chance that something's going to go wrong it's like that song lyric everywhere i go the more i see the less i know i thought i knew stuff about this topic <laughs> and, I, uh, and and now i know more and i know less so I, I'm going to struggle struggle through that. Sari and I need to write this book. If you want to ask the Science Couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics from for upcoming episodes every week. Or you can join the SciShowTangents Patreon and ask us on our Discord. Thank you to at the Fruit Robot, Melanie Roy, and everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. If you like this show, you want to help us out, it's super easy to help us out. First, you can go to patreon.com slash SciShowTangents, where you can be a patron, get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes. And a special thanks to patrons John Pollock and Les Aker. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's super helpful and helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell people, tell about, people us. about us. Thank you for joining us. I have been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. Hey, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. I've been Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> SciShow Tangents created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz. Our associate producer is Faith Schmidt. Our editor is Seth Blixman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Julia Buzz Bazayo. Our editorial assistant is Devoki Chakravarty. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Hank Green. And of course, we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. The Palolo worm lives in coral reef burrows around islands in the South Pacific Ocean like Samoa or Fiji. Its front body segment contains all the essentials like its eyes, its mouth, and its gut. But once or twice a year, these worms grow a special long butt segment called an epitoke, which is a bright teal or tan packet of reproductive gametes. During a spawn, these epitokes are released all at once at night, and they even have a rudimentary eye spot to help them wriggle towards the ocean surface. At oh sunrise, God. the epitokes dissolve, the eggs get fertilized, and they hatch into larvae that settle down into the coral reefs. But these marine worm butts can also be scooped up in nets like noodles and cooked as a local delicacy. They have eyes and stuff. They're like little yeah, alive guys that so come out. Rigid. It like it it messes with your definition of alive. Like, is mm-hmm. that alive? It has yeah, agency. Nice. It seems to want things. It's yeah. moving to like if a single celled organism is alive, then it, it's just it's just not. It's a new individual, uh, and long. it's doing reproduction too, which is one of the things that they always put on the lists. Which is why the mm-hmm. list is a bad idea. Always a way to get around <laughs> the list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just grow another little version of you that's just reproductive organ and say, go off into the world, 
Well, my son. Wouldn't that be wouldn't for... that be a fun way to do it? <laughs> <laughs> just like like um, just take off your finger and it just like sort of hops around. Uh, There's my goes my little sex boy. <laughs> 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 it looks like a little sour. It's a sour patch kid commercials. So oh, yeah, grow no. a little sour patch kid. Little trouble run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>